It's uh, great for me to uh, be back this morning, um, having been uh, unwell and not able to speak for the last few weeks. So it is a joy. And it's great to come back to a Sunday morning like this. And Michelle, we want to say thank you uh, for the testimony that you have borne and uh, brought to us. We've got here uh, a couple of uh, books that we'd like to give to you. And uh, if you've already got this one, let me know and I'll give it to someone else and get you something different, okay? But uh, the Lord bless you and, uh, and keep you. And uh, as that song has said, the Lord's plan is to sustain us throughout the whole of our life and we rejoice in that. I just want to say that uh, if uh, Sonda and Elaine are here this morning, I can't see... Okay, over there. Good to see you guys. Welcome. Uh, they've moved uh, to Canada from the Netherlands and it's great to welcome uh, them, uh, your whole family, and we pray that the Lord will bless you as you join with us, uh, certainly today and maybe going forward. So it's good to have you here. So I feel I need to uh, simply, uh, by way of uh, uh, recapping, um, just help us to remember where we had got to in terms of our study looking at uh, uh, John chapter 15, which is one of those amazing chapters. Now, it might be that you're here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, well, a Baptist church is a little bit different to the church that I've uh, gone to before. I want you to know that the word Baptist is uh, not really uh, a name for a denomination. It simply denotes that uh, uh, we have uh, what we call believer's baptism. Sometimes people get confused and say we're into baptizing adults. That's not true. What we do is baptize believers, and it's important that that distinction uh, is, uh, is maintained uh, in our uh, minds and in our thinking. But one of the things which is so obvious when it comes to reading God's Word is the simplicity of the Word of God in itself. If you find the Word of God complicated, the chances are it is you that's complicating it, not the message that is presented to you and uh, is presented before you. Um, sometimes we can uh, think to ourselves that uh, the uh, scriptures can be hard to understand, and yet so often when you uh, perhaps have children in your family, and when you hear them speak of the scriptures and of the gospel, you discover that they seem to be able to have the ability to understand something perhaps that you think is quite detailed and deep, and they can understand it very, very clearly and very simply in a childlike fashion. And when our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the disciples, when he spoke to the crowds, when he spoke to people around him, just notice the way that he did it. So often he would take an everyday occurrence, for example, giving birth to a baby, and he explains that. That was something everybody knew about. Even the guys knew about these things because it was something that took place uh, in our lives and in our family lives and would have known. He talked about uh, farming. He talked about seed being sown and, uh, and so on. And the section of Scripture that we have before us uh, this morning and which we were able to look at three weeks ago or start to look at three weeks ago, again, is incredibly simple. But I'll tell you this. If we get to understand clearly what Jesus is speaking of here, the repercussions for us in our lives as believers are absolutely vast. They're enormous. Because all of a sudden, the question about how to have a joyful Christian life, how to have a happy Christian life, how to have a successful Christian life is revealed very sensibly, very carefully, very obviously in this section of Scripture that's all about abiding. That's it. 
It's not particularly complicated. So the message title that we had uh, uh, a few weeks ago was The Secret of Living is Fruit-Bearing. And uh, that's just a very simple statement. It's exactly what it says. It's what it uh, is talking about here. But what we discover very clearly, and we spoke about this last time, is that our identity is an important thing. And Michelle has been able to explain that to us very clearly. Because in her baptism, she identified herself with the Lord Jesus Christ very clearly. So that not one of us present could miss the significance Our Lord Jesus stood in the Jordan and was baptized. He stood in the place for Michelle and for each and every one of us who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we have stood in the place that he stood. And so our identification with Jesus is clearly shown and his identification for us is clearly shown. But identification, our identity, is something which seems to be causing the world a massive problem at the moment. I don't know if you've uh, noticed that. Uh, all over the place that you go, there is this crisis as to, as to who we are, what we're about, why we're here. Our schools are full of problems like this. Because all of a sudden, doubt is being thrown on the identity, the gender identity, for example, as to who we are. The fact that we're born a boy or the fact that we're born a girl now seems to be a clouded issue. And I've been reading a book which has uh, uh, been uh, um, challenging for me in many respects. It's entitled Gay Girl, Good God. Now that sounds like the wrong sort of title, doesn't it? But I'm so pleased to begin to have read this because the girl in this account talks about the tragedy there is of not knowing your identity. Um, the very clever chaps at NASA managed to send a, uh, uh, a spaceship of some description all the way out into space to land on an asteroid called Binu. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? And it just simply it landed on the surface and it grabbed about 250 grams of dust. And then it spent the last three years bringing this precious cargo, 250 grams of dust, all the way back to Earth, and it landed in a desert near Salt Lake City just a couple of weeks ago. And I was fascinated to hear the scientists. Do you know what they said? They said, finally, we're going to discover who we are. Finally, we're going to discover where we came from. Finally, we're going to discover what we're here for. Well, the only thing that I could think they've got right is the fact that it's dust, because that's what we were created from. But the world is worried about identity. But do you know what, friends? You and I, if we know and love the Lord Jesus, we've got no problem about our identity. Michelle's got no problem about her identity. She's made that very clear. And as you read John 15, and as Simon read it to us, and we've looked at it before, it's exciting, isn't it? Because all of a sudden we discover who we are. What are we? Jesus says we're branches. Whoa. Now that in itself is a tremendously exciting statement. We're branches, we're joined to him. So we discover that the Christian has no identity crisis. We're told who we are. We're branches in Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing. We're also told why we're here. We're told what we're to be doing. We're told what our Christian life is to be all about. What is it to be all about? Shout it out. Bearing fruit. 
You could have been a bit more enthusiastic, perhaps. But that's exactly it. So we're told who we are. We're branches in Jesus. We're told why we're here, and that is to bear fruit in our lives. And we're going to just talk about what this fruit is and discuss that as we uh, just remind ourselves very clearly. Um, in fact, uh, we, we, we just quickly do this because I'm very conscious that, uh, that time goes. Um, I, I'm excited. Now, that's a problem for you because I've got a lot to say this morning, but we'll try and keep going as, uh, as best we can. If we have to stop and do half of it uh, in a couple of weeks' time after Charles Price, then we, we can do that. But one of the things that uh, uh, we discover in the Scriptures very clearly, and uh, of course, uh, that's where we need to turn every single time uh, to, is... Uh, is what does God's Word have to say about these things? And God's Word talks about fruit in so many different places and in so many different uh, contexts and ways. Perhaps we haven't fully understood uh, what uh, they all are. But can, you, uh, can anybody try and remember some of the, uh, uh, um, the, 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 the involvement that we have with, uh, with evangelism and soul winning? Because winning others to the Lord Jesus Christ and helping them to grow according to God's word is fruitfulness in our lives. And that's exciting. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 1 says, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that as he comes and as he preaches and he shares the gospel, he sees fruit from what's taken place in his life in the lives of other people. So we discover that that's important. Now, can any of you remember some of the different pictures uh, that we spoke of, of uh, that are contained in the, uh, in the scriptures of ministry, of witnessing and leading others to Christ? So would anybody like to shout out two weeks ago? I know it's asking a lot, three weeks ago. Can anybody remember some of the things? I'll give you the first one. We're described as fishermen. Okay? Now, there's some people here this morning who like fishing. You know what's involved in that? Patience. But when we read the scriptures, we discover that uh, Mark 1.17, for example, talks about the fact that we as fishermen go into the world and we go as fishing. I think it was uh, somebody had said that every pulpit in every church should be a fishing boat. And I can see that that's a good point to, uh, to have. Can anyone think of any others that we spoke about? Think very carefully. Okay, so no one listening three weeks ago. That's fine. I got no worries at all. Remember, Proverbs 11.30 spoke about hunters. Okay, and it talks about the fact that there are times when we need to pursue somebody. Because if you love somebody and you know they're not saved, what are you going to do? Just leave them to go to hell? Or are you going to go out and share the gospel and encourage them and do what the scriptures uh, dictate and determine that we should do? And that is that there are times when we have to set our sights and we go after someone because we love them. Can anyone think of another one, beginning with A? Who are we? We are ambassadors. Whoever said that? Gold star, okay. Exactly right. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors. And that means that we're representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. If somebody looked at you, would they know you're a believer? Or if you told them, would they be shocked? Because they had absolutely no idea. We're ambassadors. John 4.35 talks about harvesters. And we go out into the field and the, 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 the grain is white unto harvest. And I'm telling you, friends, look at our world at the moment. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
When did you go out willing to talk to somebody? To share your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, remember Zechariah 3, 2, the one that perhaps shocks us all. We're firemen. We're clutching the brands out of the fire because we need to... Uh, to uh, uh, share the gospel in that way. Now, that's just some of the fruit. And, of course, the other areas, we won't turn to all the scriptures to look at them, but uh, you'll notice the word fruit appears in each of these cases. Uh, practical holiness of how we live our Christian lives is bringing fruit in our relationship with God, Romans 6, 22. Sharing what we possess, Romans 15, verse 28. You know, we're, the, the, the Lord blesses us with so much. And the believer best fruit by giving of the material blessing that we have. As a fellowship, we've got a lot of evangelism coming up. Uh, we need to uh, get another copy of the Cornerstone issue. There's a lot of things that we need to be involved in as the Lord leads and guides us. And we need finance to be able to do that. So we look to be able to share. And if anyone wants to be involved in that, just uh, place a gift in the offertory box marked for evangelism. Christian character, again, we haven't got time perhaps to turn to Galatians 5.22, but we know what this section of Scripture talks about. It talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And remember, it's the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit indwells all those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, our character changes. Our character becomes fruit. Hebrews 13, uh, verse uh, 15, very close to the reference that, uh, uh, that Michelle had made. Uh, our praise and our thanksgiving to God is fruitfulness. This is all part and parcel of it. So we thank the Lord for uh, all of, um, of these, uh, of these uh, things. Those are the different verses that we look at there. But today uh, we come, and I'm sorry that uh, I keep forgetting that, that that picture blots out the bottom left-hand corner of the, of the screen, but I'll fill you in with what it has to say. So we've been looking, and we come now to our study this morning in John 15. I want to look particularly at verse 4, but I have to tie verse 4 in with verse 7 because this helps us to understand one of the most important parts of, uh, of, of this whole subject of abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is that as we abide in Him, our relationship with Him deepens. And so verse 7, when you look at it, and we'll just read verse 4 together, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So our Lord is, is just speaking very bluntly, very clearly, and he's explaining very, very, very openly that if there is a disconnect in your relationship with him, you're not going to be fruitful. There is no fruit that will be born or perhaps very limited fruit or stunted fruit. And then verse 7, when we link it together, goes on to say that if you abide in me and my word abides in you, and we were able to look at that Old Testament reading that Simon brought to us, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, this is not saying that I desire something for myself, which I just want for me. You see, what it's saying here is, is that if your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has grown and developed and has strengthened, then whatever you ask will be what he wants for you. Because you have begun to learn and to understand what his will is for you in your life. And so instead of asking for things that you've no business asking for, you suddenly find that your prayer life changes and you start to ask him for the things that you know are in his will. 
I was speaking to a couple yesterday, talking about how do we know the will of God? Well, a great deal of knowing God's will is contained in the Scriptures for us, because as we read the Scriptures, we discover, and we can't help but discover, what God's will is for our lives and how we live our lives. And if you choose to be disobedient and not live the life that God has laid down for us in His Word, then you're not in His will. And you discover that the relationship is broken, that there is a problem. Now, for any of you who have got uh, uh, young children, uh, you'll know that one of the ways that a child learns anything is by repetition, isn't it? Okay, so um, we've got a three-year-old in our household, and uh, last night she pestered me for hot chocolate, for a, a mug of chocolate. I'm busy trying to finish off something else, and I, I say, Eloise, in just a moment, and before the words have come out of my mouth, she's asked again. She wants it. Because a three-year-old's patient level is really zero. You know, it's, it's just not able. It has no concept of time and the action between it. And so you keep on having to speak to the child and explain it. And as a child gets older, you still have to explain it. And there are some women here who are thinking to themselves, and I still have to explain to my husband on numerous occasions what it is that's required from him. The bathroom has been like this for five years. It's still not been decorated. And you keep on reminding him, you keep on explaining that this is what needs to be done. Eventually, you go out and buy the pot of paint, stick the brush in his hand, point him in the direction of the bathroom and say, get on with it, because it needs to be done. And when we come to the Scriptures and we discover that so often in Scripture, themes and concepts and words and things that we have to understand, there is a repetition that takes place. And this is, of course, by no accident. And here in John chapter 15, the word abide is used at least 12 times. You see, Jesus is trying to get us to understand the imperative, the importance of what it is to abide in him. He's saying that everything in your life is dependent upon you abiding in me. It's dependent upon you taking and drawing from Jesus. I think there was one of the songs that we sang, and, and it talks about his blood flows into our veins. And you see, for the believer, for Michelle, this is what she's talking about this morning. She's talking about she's not on her own anymore. She's talking about the strength that she gains comes from her Savior, from her Lord and from her Master. She's submitted to him. And now, Jesus says, if you abide in me... I'll give you the strength. He doesn't say, and the whole section of Scripture helps us to understand that, he doesn't say it's all going to be a bed of roses and a, a doddle. It's going to be tricky. There's going to be times when you're wondering to yourself, Lord, what's wrong? Repetition in Scripture of words or phrases is just saying, listen, friends. I'm saying this because you need to listen. Jesus is saying, listen. He's saying, take note. He's saying, this is of the utmost importance. Abiding in Jesus is the secret to the sort of life that God wants for his children. A life of joy and a full, abundant life. But it is also the secret of a fruitful life. 
for God. Abiding in Jesus, the vine, is the secret to bearing fruit in our life. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I'm more qualified to talk about today than I was last Sunday. I'm going to talk to you about dehydration. Now, you might think to yourself, what in the world is all this about? The minute the branch is broken off from the vine, if you look at the leaves, almost instantly you will see them begin to wilt. Last, uh, uh, sorry, not last Sunday, the Sunday before, that's what I, I, I meant to say. Um, I was okay. I was still feeling a bit rough because of this issue that I've got and, and stuff. Uh, and then on Monday, I began to not feel very well. Tuesday got worse. Wednesday, much worse. And do you know what, what was happening to me? Uh, this is true. If there's anybody from the medical profession here, you can talk to me after and say I'm different to everybody else. I don't know. But this is what happened to me, okay? Um, nauseous. Struggled to drink water. And then suddenly my hearing began to deteriorate. My eyesight began to deteriorate. I had massive pain behind my eyes. My voice almost vanished. I know you're struggling to understand that that's a possibility <laughs> from this morning. Couldn't speak. It was a whisper. And uh, felt very giddy, very disorientated. And do you know what the problem was? I was dehydrated. So I went into the hospital and they, they, uh, they put this bag into my arm. And after the first bag, I thought, wow, this is incredible stuff. What is it? Water and salt. Nothing special. That's it. After the second bag, I was really excited. The third bag, euphoric. Want to go home. And as I thought about that, I realized that the Christian life is not dissimilar. Because if you lose your connection with the vine, you will surely and quickly begin to dehydrate spiritually. You'll find that your eyes don't see the things that they should see. Your hearing stops hearing the things that you should be hearing. You've got no voice to speak to God that you should have. And you become disorientated around everything that's going on. And friends, I say this graciously, I meet time and time again people who call themselves Christians, people who are Christians, but they're dehydrated. And they're wondering why their Christian life feels so miserable. And why it feels as though everything is hard work and difficult. So, here's the thing. The section of scripture we have before us in, uh, in John. A child can understand it. We can make it complicated. Or we can just take it as it is. The branches have the responsibility of producing fruit. That's, that's all. Now, when we were away during the summer and we were in the south of France, and again, thank the fellowship for allowing us to take that time of sabbatical. But whilst we were in the south of France, we drove through that region, which is just grapevines everywhere. You've never seen so many, okay? And we stopped on a little promontory that went out towards into the sea. There was a parking area. 
And uh, I walked uh, along the edge of the vines, and do you know what? You could almost hear them sucking up the sunshine so that the grapes would swell and become um, ripe and ready. You could almost hear the branches just working together so that this harvest was being produced. You could almost, in a sense, feel to yourself, this is incredible. It's all just happening in front. These vines have been doing this. They're being looked after. They've been trained. And they're doing it. And the fruit they're producing looks lovely. Now, I didn't pinch any because that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. But it looked so tempting because the fruit was there. But you see, all they were doing was abiding. There's nothing particularly technical about it at all. They were being joined to the vine. They did not struggle there was no effort involved in it. There was no struggle to produce the fruit because the branches were doing what they were told to do. The vine dresser had been along and snipped off the various bits and pieces or whatever it is was required and the vines just knew that all they have to do or the branches, all they have to do is to abide in the vine. The branches were calmly and confidently rest in the fact that they are abiding in Jesus. And so I'd like to ask you a question um, this morning. What about you? Are you just abiding? Or are you struggling? Are you fighting? Are you just doing what God wants you to do, which is to be joined into the vine of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you struggling? There's nothing worse than a Christian who struggles in their Christian life. It's a horrible sight, in fact. There's something very unpleasant about it. Because that's not what we're supposed to be doing. And where does this struggling come from? It often comes from our unwillingness to submit. Our unwillingness to obey. Two words that society today doesn't like talking about, does it? Children don't like obeying, they don't like submitting. We don't like submitting, we don't like obeying, being told what to do. And yet here is the secret. What's your life like? Is it a struggle? Michelle spoke about a struggle, didn't she? She spoke about a time when you know, she knew what was right, but her relationship needed to be fixed. Are we calmly abiding in the vine? Are we at rest? Are we at peace? In our walk with the Lord, is our fruit produced from abiding? Or are we struggling to produce fruit? And you know, there's something that so often happens. The Christian who knows they're supposed to be producing fruit and starts to pretend they're producing fruit. And they can probably fool us for a little while but not for long. And friends, I remind you, you can't pull the wool over the eyes of God. He knows. He sees. He knows who's joined into the vine. And he knows who's struggling. Now, before we go uh, and talk uh, um, about how we abide in Christ, I need to talk for just a moment about this passage of Scripture and particularly the elephant in the room that you could say is contained here in this passage of Scripture. 
Verse 6 says, If anybody does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Now, friends, I have to say to you that that verse should worry all of us. Unfortunately, it worries some of us for the wrong reasons. You see, the verse itself is explaining what happens if we lose the connection between the vine and us as the branch. So what happens to the branches that are contained in the account that we have before us that don't produce any fruit? And at this point, you might like to start thinking about your own life and your fruitfulness. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody? When you look at your life, would you describe it as a holy life? A life set apart for God? Would you describe your praise and worship of God as being fruit? Because the scriptures tell us here that these useless branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire. I mean, that, that's, that's what the scriptures are saying. So does this mean that I can lose my salvation? You know, I started, I started well, in my heart to the Lord Jesus. And then suddenly, doubt comes along. Is this verse saying that I can still be thrown in the fire? Never see heaven? Well, a couple of points to make on this particular one. If we take this scripture to mean that, then everything about ourselves changes and our Christian life changes. That's the first thing. And I'll talk about it just briefly. And then the second thing, talk about that briefly as well, is that our attitude of the character of God changes as well. So the first one is this, is that all of a sudden, if you are facing a challenge in your life and you fail... You've lost everything. Because all of a sudden, fear becomes the motivating factor in our lives. We are now afraid in case we make a mess of it. And if the Lord Jesus were to return that day, I'd be thrown in the fire. And so fear becomes our companion in life. But the problem with that is that the scriptures say that fear is not our companion in life. Fear nothing, we're told. Do not be afraid. So if you're afraid that you're going to lose your salvation, then your whole life is now in a ragged situation because all of a sudden, everything you do, you're thinking to yourself, is this good enough for God? And it will never be good enough for God. So your attitude about you changes. The second thing is that your attitude about God changes because no longer is he a benevolent, loving, heavenly father who cares for you and looks after you. He's a tyrant 
And he's looking at you. And his angels are the secret service and they're watching to see what you do. And if you fail, you're out. And I want to say to you this morning that that's not our God. Jesus didn't die for you and take your sin away to lose you. Sorry, I should have just gone through these a bit quicker. So the last point, very simply, is I do not believe that this is all, at all, the correct interpretation of John 15. You see, the Bible explains two concepts. Again, straightforward for us to understand. There's the concept of union and the concept of communion. Our union with Christ takes place once and for all. When we come to faith in the Savior, we are joined together with him. The price has been paid. We have been purchased. But from that point on, there is communion. And that's where so many of us struggle, because we should have communion with God each and every day, and that communion should grow and develop and strengthen. Jesus is not telling us that if we do not bear fruit, we lose our salvation. The emphasis in his message here in John chapter 15 is clearly on service, not salvation. Important that we see that very, very clear distinction. Jesus is not telling us how to get saved here in this section of Scripture or even how to get other people to be saved. But instead, he is telling us how to live for him now that we are saved. And the difference is enormous. I want you to notice uh, the characters who are spoken of here in John 15. Who is the gardener? Who is the gardener? Who is the vine dresser? Bit louder? The Father, another gold star. <laughs> when you've collected six, let me know. <laughs> the Father. He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. It's God who is the Father. And it is God the Father who takes away the branch that does not bear fruit. And we will, if we may, just turn to uh, John chapter 5, verse 22, an important section of Scripture. John chapter 5, verse 22. And now you'll begin to understand why it's important that when we come to the Scriptures, we actually see what is being presented, what is written down for us. So verse 22 says, For the Father judges no one. Now, is that a surprise to you? But has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So now when we come and we look further in John 15 from John chapter 5, we're beginning to see the imperative of understanding who are the characters that are involved in being spoken of here in this section of Scripture. And John 5.22 tells us very clearly, 
if the consigning of a fruitless branch into the fire meant a soul being sent to eternal judgment, then it would be done by the Son, by Jesus, not the Father. What is the Father's relationship to the branch? I'll shout out for Veronica's sake. He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. And the vine dresser only wants to make the branch more fruitful. Even if this means getting the knife out. And that's called spiritual discipline. So in England we call these secateurs. I'm not sure what you call them here. Who? Pruning shears. Okay. So we'll go with secateurs. Sounds a bit posher, doesn't it? <laughs> and you use these to prune the trees, the plants that you have around. Would anybody like to bring their finger up and we'll just give it a go? Any volunteers? Michelle, it's tradition that those... Sorry. <laughs> you know, if you put your finger in there and I did that, it would hurt. But because God loves us, he wants the very, very best for us. He's not interested in second best. He wants the best for us. And sometimes that means things have to be cut out of our lives for that to happen. So how do we actually abide in the vine? That's the question that we're looking at. And the one that we're really interested in, isn't it? Well, historically, there are two schools of thought on this particular uh, viewpoint. Uh, I've chosen the word the quietists and the activists. Now, you might be thinking to yourself already, well, I know which group the pastor's in. And you might like to think to yourself, which group are you? And are you a quietist? Or are you an activist when it comes to abiding in the vine? Well, again, to try and help us to understand this, I took the liberty of bringing a glove. Now, it's a left-hand glove. I meant to bring a right-hand one, but failed miserably. Sometimes people get the idea that this glove represents our Christian life. Um, the quietists will say, do nothing. Don't do anything at all. Absolutely nothing. So you're just like that. Do nothing, just yield to him and let him have his way. And the reality is, is that a glove has got no strength to it at all, except when the hand goes inside and suddenly it becomes strong. It can do things. And there's this idea that all we do is just sit back and let God move into our life and do this. You know, regardless of who we are, regardless of our character, regardless of our personality, even though all these things have been given to God, we just have to be limp, spineless. But the activist replies and says, we're not dead gloves. We're living people. And that's true, isn't it? If you're worried, give yourself a pinch. 
just to make sure you're still alive. Wake yourself up. And they'll say that God never violates our personalities or forces himself upon us. That we must actively read the Bible, pray, worship, and do all that he wants us to do. And that's true. Some of us have got quiet personalities, and I thank God for those people with quiet personalities because they're so much easier to get on with than people like me. And then there's other people like me, perhaps. You know, I just want to share the gospel. I want to talk to people. And, and, and God put me in a hospital bed for three weeks. And I'm gonna, if anyone wants to come this evening, I'm going to tell you a bit more about that. But, you know, that was the toughest place for me to be. Tied to a, an intravenous line. Being told to ask for help. Ooh, it's not me. Peter was a bit like that, wasn't he? And his character almost made him into a murderer. So he gets his sword out on that night, you know, torches flickering, <laughs> cuts off Malchus's ear. As I've said before, he was either a useless swordsman or he was really accurate, one of the two, I don't know. So his character could have got him into being a murderer. And there are some of us whose character left unchecked would get us into enormous trouble. So I'm going to suggest to you that what's actually taking place here is somewhere between the two. I believe that both answers have a measure of truth. You see, surrender is important and cooperation is important also. Abiding is not a passive thing like the glove on a hand because the glove does not have intellect, it doesn't have emotion, or will. And I know some of you, and I know that there are some really clever chaps here this morning. There's a guy who builds nuclear power stations here, you know. I mean, that's got to be, got to know what you're doing there, haven't you? <laughs> There's people who are doctors and nurses, and I really admire them. Some of us are emotional. And these things are given to us by God, and we use them for his kingdom. The glove can do nothing else but surrender. However, abiding is not such an active thing that we must manufacture the experience. I want to just say to you, be very careful when people give you spiritual formulas how to have a successful Christian life. A plus B plus C equals D, they tell you. Do this catechism in church. Turn up at that meeting. Do this, do that. Do that, do this. And all will be okay. And the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture simply says, abide in me. And not only will you have a joyful Christian life, but you'll also be able to pray knowing what God the Father wants to hear from you. Now, isn't that incredible? I believe that Paul gives us the very best answer to this question. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, we've spoken about this many times in this church. I believe it passionately. 
seen it in my own life on both fronts. One, seeing a successful Christian life and seeing a failed Christian life. You see, God works in, we work out. That, that, that's what the scriptures are telling us. As you allow God to work in your life, so you will automatically want to do what he wants you to do. Suddenly your priorities change. Suddenly everything changes. As we surrender to God, God works in us. As we obey, God works out from us because suddenly our obedience changes our life and we discover that we are of use to him. We can be fruitful to him. Abiding involves keeping in fellowship with the vine so that God can work in us. And of course, the things that we've outlined, and again, we've not got time to, uh, sorry, just go into all of the scriptures, but uh, if anybody would like a copy of these notes, um, I can make them available. That's fine. What are some of the practical things that we can do? Read the word, read the word, read the word. I mean, you know, let's, let's uh, um, just look at the, look at the way uh, verse uh, 6, I think, again. Um, if anyone does not abide in me... Uh, sorry, uh, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you. And we discover that as we look further down these scriptures and we look in other places, uh, verse uh, 7 and verse 10, uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. So now, do you see the simplicity of what's being spoken of here? So read the word of God. Don't ask me why your life is rubbish from a Christian perspective if you don't read your Bible. And people that will come to me and say, you know, God's so far from me. And I say, well, when did you last read your Bible? And they have to blow dust off it before opening the pages. So I, I uh, went to see, I'll tell you tonight about this, but I went to sleep on Monday night having read um, Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians um, up to chapter 3, because I'm working my way through Corinthians at the moment. And I wake up on Tuesday morning with these words. Therefore, since we have this ministry, because I've been going through a, a problem saying, Lord, is, is, this, is it over? Is my ministry over? And I didn't know what chapter 4, verse 1 was. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. And that was God's verse for me on Tuesday morning. So we, we read, we pray, John 15, 7, 1 John 5, 4, uh, 14. Confessing our sin is important. 1 John 1, verse 6. And here, John 15, verse 10, desire to do his will. Is that your desire? Or is it to do your will? What is it? Desire to do his will. And lastly, we have to just touch on this pruning business because uh, some of us are afraid of it. Don't want it to happen to us. But every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. 
so it will be even more fruitful. That's it, guys. It's not difficult. You know God loves you when you feel the pain of the pruning process sometimes. The Father cutting out of our lives the things that hinder us from being more fruitful for Him. God wants us to reach our full potential. And this explains why abiding Christians are often suffering Christians. You might look at some Christian's life and say, look what they're going through. What have they done? What you should be saying is, I need that in my life. And I've experienced some of that recently. And I thank God for the experience that he has given to me. And I praise him for that. What does the Father cut away from our lives? Anything. Anything that keeps the life of the vine from producing fruit in us. So I close with these words. If you really know and love the Lord Jesus, expect to be pruned. <laughs>